Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 26th, 2022. It is currently 12.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And as I sometimes like to describe, I'm coming to you live two stories above a street here in Abilene, Texas. Yes, below me is a street right here in the residential area where I live, Abilene, Texas, Not that you really care, but it kind of gives you an idea that I'm broadcasting from, well, a second story room here in my home. Used to, I would always start my broadcast by saying, welcome everyone. I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located in the middle of nowhere, Texas, but we've moved the podcast studio to right here, this second story room, which was the homeschool room as of, well, about an hour ago, because the school year ended about an hour ago. So homeschooling is over. Now this becomes the permanent podcast studio for the Theology Central podcast. So um, I know you're excited about that. I know, I know. It, it's You should see this. It's, it's I mean, it, this studio probably cost a million dollars. Okay, I'm joking. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not that glamorous. It definitely is not that expensive, but you know what? What's amazing is for, well, very little investment, pastors, Bible teachers, theological uh, professors, it it doesn't matter, anyone who is involved in teaching and trying to edify the body of Christ for a very, very, very minimal investment can set up a uh, podcast, <laughs> can uh, set up a podcast studio and start talking about the things that are important. And that's what we're getting ready to do. Someone in the chat just said, woohoo, school's out for the summer. Yes. Also, we could go with a, well, I don't, I won't go down a, 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 a music trail because, you know, me and music, we, we won't go there. Okay. But uh, it says we are excited here. So yes, it's, it is that time of year. And uh, hopefully this summer will be a great time of us talking about theological issues. So are you ready to get started? Let's get started, all right? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Christians are winners and everyone else is losers? Now, I know I know we would never say it that way, but is there just this kind of idea that, hey, as Christians, we're winners. We've got it all figured out. We're more godly. We're smarter. We have the power of God in us. So somehow we are the winners and everyone else is a loser. I know that you say, well, nobody would ever verbalize it that way. Well, just stay with me because maybe you're going to hear something that comes awfully close to that, or at least that's the impression I got when I was listening to what we're about to review at about two o'clock in the morning, okay? Because I was listening to it and I had, I, I had a, I'm like, wait, 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 where's a notebook? I grabbed a notebook and I started uh, taking notes and I have all the notes right here, but we're just going to, I, I, when I woke up, I'm like, I have to find the audio of this because we're going to have to review this, all right? Okay, uh, so we're, we're going to have to look at it. But here is what I want to talk about. And you've probably heard me talk about this a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. I constantly tell, and I tell my church this, and I try to tell everyone, that in my mind, there's really three 
types of Christianity, three realities of Christianity. First, there's the Christianity that Christianity sells. It's the Christianity that we promote. It's the way, it's the, it's the Christianity of marketing. It's the Christianity of advertisement. Even though it may not actually be marketing and advertisement, it's the kind of Christianity we, we try to tell everyone about and we kind of sell Christianity now, I'm not saying everyone does this, but you know that there's a little bit of this within the evangelical world, that we sell Christianity like, hey, you come to Jesus and you're going to be a better mom. You're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better father. You're going to be a better employee. You're going to be a better employer. You're going, your life's going to be perfect. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. You're going to have a great family. Your marriage is going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. You're going to be godly. You're going to be holy. You're going to be successful. It's going to be blessing after blessing after blessing. Everything's going to be wonderful. Come to Jesus and everything will be perfect. Now, we may not say it in such an exaggerated way, but there's a little bit of that when we sell Christianity. It's a Christianity that we kind of just promote. Hey, come to Christ, and you know this is stated, right? Come to Christ, and you'll be a new creature. Old thing, All the old will be gone. Everything will be new. And we don't say that about our position. We say that about our practice. You come to Jesus, the old is completely gone. And you're like, well, if the old is completely gone, are you saying the sinful nature is completely gone? Well, they don't want to clarify anything like that. They just want to sell it in a the most positive way way possible. It's kind of like, this is what you should expect when you become a Christian. So there's that Christianity, the Christianity we sell. Then there's the, what I call the Christianity that we pretend, right? Because there's the Christianity we were told we're supposed to have. So then there's a lot of Christians who pretend they're actually experiencing, that they're actually getting what was sold to them. They put on the nice, happy smile. They say, they, they adopt all of the Christian lingo. They know the right answers. They memorize the right verses. They say the right things. They know how to dress themselves up. And you walk into church and, oh, praise God. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. I'm better than I deserve. And everyone looks like it's wonderful. Everything looks great on the surface. But we don't ever really want no one to see. We don't really want anyone to see what's actually going on. Well, behind the scenes, we we kind of keep all of that. So we pretend that it's exactly like it was supposed to be. And then I think there is a third Christianity. So there is what is promoted or sold. There is what we pretend. And then I think there is the reality of Christianity. And the reality of Christianity is not near as glamorous. And it's not anything like we pretend you you get you get into christianity and you know what you see you see marriages falling apart you see fornication adultery porn, uh, porn, pornography addiction you see domestic uh, dis, uh, dispute and violence you see divorce you see broken homes you see a uh, broken relationship between parent and child you see churches fighting and arguing and splitting you see gossip and slander people stabbing each other in the back lying deception it's just it's a it's just filled with a mess and a lot of times you look around and go wait a minute this is not what was promised to me this, this is not what, not only what you see around you, what you feel inside. When you look in the mirror, you're like, wait a minute, this is not what they said I would be. This is not what they said I would become. And, and we, nobody likes that. But if you're, if you're honest, when you open the Bible, 
when you read all about the great heroes of the faith, man, there's some really messy, broken people. When you read about the early churches, you see churches that are full of sin and division and fighting. And sometimes when you see the Bible, you're like, the Bible seems to give a more realistic approach to the Christian life than I don't know Christians themselves because we've got so much into a marketing idea. I think there's three kinds. So I love to listen to preaching wherever I can hear it, and because I like to keep kind of an, an eye on what's going on in the evangelical world. And sometimes I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're doing the selling Christianity there. They're, oh, there's the pretending. And wait a minute. Then sometimes you'll hear sermons going, man, that's given us the brutal reality. So I just think that, the, that I, I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I believe those three clearly exist. And you see and you hear that all the time. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is again around it had to be around 1 a.m., maybe 2 a.m., um, I was listening to uh, sermons from Charles Stanley. Not that I agree with his doctrine or theology, but I've listened to a lot of his uh, sermons. I graduated from the Charles Stanley Institute of Christian Living or whatever it was called. I have the diploma from that because I, I, I've gone to any school and every school that I can afford or go to or or any, any way I can get education, I'm always pursuing more. And so um, I graduated from that. So I have a lot of experience with his teaching, and they have the InTouch app that you can download for an Apple device or an Android device, and they have a cool feature on the InTouch device. It's called basically the uh, is it InTouch Radio, and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right, every day of the year, they just broadcast sermon after sermon after sermon from the huge archive of Charles Stanley's sermons. He's been in ministry for over 50 years. So it's just one sermon after another sermon after another sermon after another sermon. They're random and all kinds of different directions. And so they pulled one I was able to discover that was at least, I don't know when it was originally preached, but I know it aired on their radio program that airs on Christian radio stations all around the country on January the 1st, 2022. And the name of the sermon is How to Enter In. How to Enter In. But when you start listening to it, it really is about, well, winning, winning, that we're winners. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So we're going to just review it. It's only 18 minutes long because they took it from the radio broadcast. So And so they chopped it up and it wasn't the full sermon. But um, I, I think that uh, this will be somewhat interesting and maybe we'll see a little bit of what I'm talking about. The Christianity that is sold, the Christianity we pretend and the Christianity that we actually experience, the reality of Christianity. And I, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I bet you can remember maybe what how Christianity was sold to you, what you thought it was going to be. You may see parts of your Christian life where you tried to pretend that's what it was. And then I don't know when it happened, but may, now you may be still in one of those two stages. You still may be, oh man, I, I, I'm buying into the marketing. You still may be in the pretending stage, but one day, I don't know when, it may happen at night, it may happen in the morning, it may happen while you're driving your car, maybe happen while you're sitting in the pew. I don't know when, all of a sudden one day you're going to realize, this is not what was sold to me. This is not what I've been pretending. This is something else. And at that point, you either start deconstructing, your faith crumbles and falls apart, and you're like, Christianity doesn't work. No, 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 no. 
The Christianity sold to you doesn't work because I don't think it was a legitimate Christianity. The Christianity you've been pretending doesn't work because you've been pretending. The, the faith that's found in the Bible is very realistically, it's very realistic. It's very ugly. It's very messy. The heroes of the faith are very broken, messed up people who did some really messed up things. But the evangelical world wants to say, no, 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 no. That's not our reality. Our reality is different. It's about power. It's about almost being sinless. But we'll, we'll listen to this and you can see. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but I thought this would be a fun way to start today. Of, uh, this, the, start this afternoon of live broadcasting, and we'll probably be live broadcasting off and on throughout the afternoon into the evening hours, and hopefully we can accomplish a lot today. So are you ready? Here we go. We're going to go back to January the 1st, 2022. All right, this is uh, from the In Touch radio program. Okay, now someone says, no, I found the receipt on what was being sold to me and returned that nonsense. I'm shopping for a new one. You know what? I, yes, good, because I think sometimes what was sold to us, yeah, needs to be returned. It, 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 it's, I think it's nonsense in a lot of different ways. Um, I, think, I, think that, I think even in churches that sometimes have maybe very sound theology, they still sell something that I don't think is is real. And I think that's a, that's detrimental to your spiritual life. If you're not really given the reality of Christianity or what your Christian life is really going to be like, you're just leading someone to inevitable discouragement, burnout, depression, bitterness, anger, and deconstruction. I think, I think that's literally what's going to happen. And, and, and I've been talking about it for a long time because I've had to struggle with this as well. I mean, I, I was told a lot of things about how Christianity was going to be, and it, it, it definitely has not always lived up to what people have claimed, but they're still out there claiming it. But maybe, maybe you're going to interpret this sermon very different. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Remember, when I hear something at one o'clock in the morning, you're, you're one or two in the morning, your perception is one way. So it's going to be interesting to now hear it in the, the light of uh, um, the afternoon. Let's see if it changes in your mind. But here we go. Thinking caps on, notebooks open, just have a Bible nearby. It's Charles Stanley. He doesn't do a lot of like really expounding text if you've listened to his preaching, but here we go. Welcome to this weekend's In Touch podcast with Charles Stanley and the year 2022. Thinking about how to get the most out of the coming year? Let's begin a series that helps you embrace and live the life that wins. When Paul describes the Christian life, for example, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about the Christian's warfare. He talks in 2 Corinthians about the Christian's weapons. He talks about our being a soldier. He talks about going to war. Then when he speaks of our opposition, which is the devil, he talks about the fiery darts of the devil, those steel-pointed, uh, fiery arrows that Satan uh, shoots at us. He talks about the snares of Satan. And so when you look at uh, the implications of Scripture, we're in a battle, we're not in a game. It's a win or lose all the way. And when you lose in this game, you lose everything. And when you win, you win everything. And one of the reasons we think we are winning when we're losing is because we've not been taught properly what to expect in the battle called the Christian life. With All right. Now, he starts off just really quick. Now, remember, 
the the radio programs, if 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 you know how they work, when when we were on Christian radio, that's what they wanted us to do. You take one of your sermons and you just chop it up. So like Sunday one, like you preach one sermon that's say forty five an hour, forty five minutes to an hour long, and then you just chop that up, and that can be two two broadcast. You may be able to pull three out if it's a full hour and you just chop it up. And I never liked that way of doing things on Christian radio. So I'm like, you know what? Instead of chopping up my sermons, I'll just record special programs for the radio broadcast. And well, then that got me kicked off Christian radio. So we won't go there. So I understand. I don't like the fact that it just comes in. You're like, wait, wait, wait. I don't have any real context here, but he just comes in. So he's talking. I do like the fact that he starts off by really describing the Christian life as a battle. Okay, that that's a good thing. That's, and he talks about this idea that win. Right? If you win, you win everything. If you lose, you lose everything. Okay, I, I, so he's going to get this idea of winning and losing. But he makes this statement, and he went by fast. He says, do we, do, uh, and I, and I kind of took what he said and, and turned it into this statement. Do we lose at the Christian life because we were not taught correctly about what to expect in it? Now, he does mention that, that a lot of times our, the reason we, we think we're winning and we're actually losing is because we were not taught what to actually expect in the Christian life, or I think he says the Christian battle, right? We're not really taught what to expect. And there, I was, I was like, oh, this is going in a good direction. I agree. I don't think a lot of times Christians are actually taught what to expect or what the Christianity is. Again, they're sold one kind. Everyone pretends that they have it, and then you face the reality. And, and when you finally, the reality hits, you, I think then your Christian life, in many cases, feels like it's unraveling. You're like, wait a minute, none of this is what I thought it was going to be. So I believe that there is a lot of, that in, in many discipleship programs, I don't think there's a like a, just a real heart to heart, hey, the, the Christian life, this, this is what it's really going to look like. You know, this is what's really going to happen. Sometimes Christians are going to be the people who stab you in the back, who gossip, who slander. Church that you're in may fall apart. They may split. There may be who knows what's going on in the church. In your own life, you're going to sin and you're going to struggle. I think you almost have to do that or people have this mentality that it's going to be different than it really is. So I like the fact that he's starting here, but I think that's an important question. Do we lose at the Christian life? Because we were not taught correctly about what to expect in it. I, I think that there's some truth to that. I, I think that that's a, a very profound point. We could stop the sermon right here, and I think that he raises a very good point here, right? So even in sermons that I may ultimately disagree with, I do like, I, I always try to find that which I do agree with. And there, I just think that's a, that's a very profound question. Many of our problems is because we are given a wrong understanding of Christianity. But now here's what I want you to live. So he starts off by saying, hey, what can hurt you, hurt you, what can cause you to lose into Christian life is because you're not given a, an accurate understanding of it. Now, my mind says, that's right. You got to tell people about the reality of your own sinfulness, how, how, but he's going to go from, he's going to approach it in a far different way. So here's going to be the question. Is the Christianity he's about to sell us, is it a correct understanding of it or is it a misunderstanding? Now, I agree that if we have the wrong understanding, it's detrimental to our spiritual life. 
But so we're in agreement with the problem. But I think we may be in a disagreement in how we explain what the Christian life is. That's what I found fascinating about this. I'm like, yes, I agree. People have a wrong understanding of Christianity. And then I'm like, what? What? I know it's like, you know, two in the morning and I'm like yelling at my, you know, iPad. But I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how I would explain it. But maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. There's always that possibility that many of you may agree with his perspective. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Here we go. Jesus Christ, it was a battle from before he was born until God the Father carried him on. It was a battle every inch of the way. It's going to be a battle for you, a battle for me. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. So we're in the battle, and here's the battle. On the one hand is God Almighty and all of his righteousness and goodness and mercy. On the other hand is Satan with all of his evil and wickedness. And these two forces will never come together except in in ultimate conflict. There will never be any coexistence because God the Father is going to win. Satan is trying to win. He knows that already the battle has been fought and won. And he's a defeated foe. And what he's trying to do is keep everybody out of God's camp he possibly can. And those of us who are on God's side, he's trying to do everything he can to embarrass the Christian eyes of the world, to thwart God's purpose, and to destroy God's will in your life and my life. That Okay. Now this is very common with Charles Stanley's kind of philosophy. He paints this picture. Here's God on one side. Here's Satan on the other. And they're in a battle. Now, now the battle's already over. Satan's already lost, but he still has power. So these, you have these two forces fighting and we're kind of caught in the middle, right? Here's God and he has his will. He has his purpose and Satan's going to do everything he can to embarrass us and to stop God's will from happening in our life. He almost describes it as if God and Satan are equal powers involved in a cosmic struggle, and we're in the middle of that cosmic struggle. And, and depending on what we do, we either up on the winning side or we end up greatly injured and hurt by the losing side. Now, he doesn't believe you can lose your salvation, but he believes you can do great detrimental harm to your Christian life. Now, this is a very interesting theological perspective, right? Where I would tend to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. It's They're not equal. They're not, God and Satan are not on equal terms here. And whenever we, we kind of look to the Bible, just for example, the book of Job would be a good example. I mean, Job's just not, I mean, Satan's just not out there doing whatever he wants. He's controlled by God. In fact, God uses Satan. He uses Satan for his purpose. Satan may be running around seeking whom he may devour, but isn't God still in charge? I mean, you can't, it's like Stanley almost paints this picture like they're they're too equal. And I'm like, no, God is supreme and all powerful. Satan may be in opposition, but Satan, is Satan more a tool that God uses or is Satan a, a out of control force, which God has to constantly fight against. I think it would be interesting to know how most people would describe that in your church. God and Satan. Now, I think on one hand, they would say, no, God is greater. 
But on the other hand, they almost describe the Christian life like, well, God and Jesus or, you know, God and Satan are fighting one another. And then we're kind of caught in the middle of this cosmic struggle. Instead of seeing that Satan may be actually just being used by God for God's sovereign purpose and his sovereign will, because doesn't all things work according to God's good pleasure and will? Isn't what the Bible says? So it's already a kind of an interesting approach to the Christian life. We could talk more about it. I'm going to back it up just a little bit so you can hear a little bit more of that or hear it one more time. All right, here we go. To do everything he can to embarrass the Christian God. All right, let me go back just a little further. A little further. Here we go. All right, here we go. He's been fought and won, and he's a defeated foe, and what he's trying to do is keep everybody out of God's camp he possibly can, and those of us who are on God's side, he's trying to do everything he can to embarrass the Christian eyes of the world, to thwart God's purpose, and to destroy God's will in your life and my life. That is a battle that's going to have to be fought until Jesus calls you home. Some of you are not saved. I want to tell you why a lost man can't be a winner. First of all, here we go. Some of you are not saved. He, so he's talking to the congregation. He, some of you are not saved. And let me tell you why you can't be a winner. <laughs> now that, I almost had to, I, I, I think I was like, wait, what? So you're just telling, hey, anyone here today, if you are uh, not a Christian, let me just tell you, you're not a winner. You're a loser. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's exactly how it was supposed to come out, but I'm kind of like, wait a minute. Now, Let's see how he describes. Now, this is very important. He's going to describe this idea like, okay, you can't be a winner, but the implication is us Christians, we are. You're the loser. We're the winner. Now, now you could say, well, well, what, what, what do we mean by that? Well, you could argue, yes, I would think winning means eternal life. Sins are forgiven, right? I still wouldn't want to call someone a loser, but okay. I, that's kind of a weird way of language of using, but how is he going to describe the losers versus the winners? Remember, the lost people are losers. The saved people are winners. Let's see, because remember he said the whole thing that one of the things that go wrong in our Christian life is when we don't understand exactly what the Christian life is. And I think he's getting ready to kind of give his theory of what the Christian life really looks like because it's about being a winner. Let, let's see how he describes it. Right now he's going to describe why you, if you're not saved, why you can't be a winner. Here we go. All he's got to do everything in his own energy, in his own strength, in his own power, in his own might. What he doesn't realize is this. You're already shackled by sin. You say, Satan hasn't shackled me. Yes, he has. Satan is so clever and so deceiving and so cunning, he has you shackled and you don't even realize it. And the reason he's making no big deal out of it is simply because he's got you where he wants you and he doesn't want to upset you by telling you that you're one of his captured slaves, enslaved by sin, can't do any better than you're doing even if you tried. Okay, now I agree that you are depraved. I, I even agree with the whole captive in sin that you can't even do better if you tried. But it's this idea like you don't have power you're enslaved, and you can't do better if you tried. And the implication is, the believer, we have power, and we can do better, right? That, that's going to be seemingly the implication here. Let, let's see how he carries this out. Lost man spending his life losing. The problem is, he doesn't know what he's losing. 
Now you say, well, how would you define a winning life? So let me tell you what a winning life's all about. Let me tell you first of all what it's not. A winning life is not sinless perfection because not a single one of us will ever be able to live up to a sinless life. Okay, so basically, if you are a loser, you're, you're, you don't have any power, you're shackled to sin, and you can't even do better even if you tried. So you're just kind of in a hopeless, helpless situation. Okay, all right? I understand from a, looking at it from a depraved perspective, but now we're going to turn to Christianity. Now, before he tells us basically what a winning life looks like, he's telling us what a winning life isn't. And the first thing it isn't, it isn't sinless perfection. So already this is going to get weird. So, okay, so... If you, to understand what a Christian, the Christian life really is, you're not a winning Christian life. You're not going to be perfect. Now just don't forget that. You're not going to be perfect, but he's going to clearly imply that we have a power that the lost person doesn't. And this is where it gets really like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm trying to, I need a chart to try to keep this straight. So the lost person, you're just helpless. You're hopeless. You're a loser. You can't do anything. You can't do better even if you tried. You're in shackles to sin. But for a Christian, but before I tell you what it, it means to be a winning Christian, just remember, you can't be perfect. Okay, well, that seems to mean that there's a, whatever power you're going to tell me I have, you just limited it, right? It, uh, it's whatever power I may have is not strong enough to make me sinless. So that means I, there's a helplessness in me. I, I, in other words, whatever I can do, I can't get to perfection. So there's a, there's a level where I'm bound. Christians don't, it's like, it's so weird how, how this gets forgotten so many times when we talk about the Christian. Wait, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Everything's new, but you can't be perfect. <laughs> If I can't, that means there's something holding me. There's something I'm still bound to. There's something I'm still captive by. So which is it? Okay, well, let's see where else he goes here. So it's not sinless perfection, but let me tell you what else it's not. The winning life is not me living the Christian life and doing my best and struggling and striving in my energy and my strength and not going to do this, going to do that. Here's a set of rules. Here's a set of principles. Living up to them. That is not the winning life. All right. The winning life is not me simply trying to follow rules, doing the best I can in my own strength. I, it, it's, that's not the Christian life. And look, there's a lot of this that sounds good. It's just we have to we have to ride the train and see where it stops, right? We like right now you may be like, man, there's some good points here, but wait till where it stops because it's going to get confusing, right? So I can't be perfect, and it's not about just keeping rules and principles. But I think the the key there in my own strength, right? In my own strength, just just follow this because he he has a very strong theology that's about to come through. And you can hear it a lot in his, in his teaching that I am very familiar with, with these principles. And it's, it's based off a, I can't remember the name of the book right now. Um, that was great, very influential. That kind of, if, if you listen to Charles Stanley kind of tells his testimony, he kind of became a believer. And then he just found himself feeling hopeless and powerless. And, and he couldn't live the Christian life, no matter how hard he tried. And then he discovered the secret and then boom, everything changed, right? So this is a little bit of that idea. And it was based off a book that he read, and I don't I don't have it in front of me. But uh we'll we'll, we'll look at it at some other point. We've done some podcasts about it a long time ago, but uh we'll, we'll have to come back to it. But so it's this idea that hey, the Christian life is just not you striving and trying and trying to follow principles and rules, but the key is in your own strength, right? Here we go. 
because all of us have tried that and we failed. But I'll tell you something else. The winning life isn't even doing my best and asking God to help me. So it isn't God helping me. It isn't um, me doing my best. It isn't that God helps those who help themselves. It isn't sinless perfection. What is the life that wins? All right, so the winning life isn't even you doing your best and saying, God, help me. No, it's not God, help me. It's not even doing, striving as much as you can. It's not sinless perfection. That's not the winning Christian life. Now, we can be winners, though. Now, the lost people, they're just losers. There's nothing they can do. They're helpless and hopeless unless they get saved, right? Now, if they get saved, they can transform from loser to winner. So now he's going to tell us exactly what the winning life is. He made sure we know what the winning life isn't. It's not perfection, it's not striving, and it's not you doing your best and asking God for help. All right, so what is the winning Christian life? Are you a winner today? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Here we go. I want to give you four verses of Scripture. I want you to look them up with me. I want you to read them with me. And then I want you to tell me the one thing you see in all four of these verses that is the key and the clue to the life that wins. I mean the life that will bring contentment. I mean the life that will bring joy. I mean the life that will survive satanic attacks. I mean the life that will give victory in time of temptation. The life of contentment and peace and joy that our Lord God has provided for us and what every single one of us desire. All right, so he's going to give us the secret where you can have a life full of peace and joy and victory over temptation, and, and you can have all of this. Now, he just goes on to that, like, here's what Christianity can be. This is the winning Christian life, victory, peace, joy, contentment, right? You, you can have all of this, but wait a minute, you can have victory over temptation, but he's already told us we can't be without sin. So, so even in this victory, it's a, he's, he's already demonstrated there's a limit to the victory I can experience. I don't know how Christians never hear themselves. Right? Hey, you can't be perfect, but I'm going to tell you the secret so you can have victory. You can, you can not fall for temptation, but, but, but they never come back and say, but you can't be perfect. If I can't be perfect means I'm going to continue to fall. So that means I can't. So when you tell me I can have victory, isn't victory... Like, how can victory not be, hey, you're victorious, but that victory isn't perfection. That that victory is going to be marred with failure, but it's still going to be victory. So how do we, it just because, like, you don't understand how maddening this becomes to people. You're like, so I'm victorious, but no, I failed. But no, but I can still be victorious. But no, wait, wait, you do that. You fall into a sin. You fall into a temptation, depending on the sin. And then you let people in the church find out. They're not going to pat you on the back going, you're a vic- you're victorious. You are a conqueror. No, they're going to be like, you are a failure. You are a loser. <laughs> okay. So I, it's really weird. Like, hey, you can be victorious even though you sin because you can't reach sinless perfection. But then the church doesn't quite treat your failure as victory. They treat it as failure. And then you face shame and consequences. So it's really weird how this works, but let's see if he, if he, he's going to break this down because now I am very fascinated by the verses he's going to give because he's going to give us the verses. And then you have to say, what is basically the secret to being a win, having a winning Christian life? All right. The first one is Galatians 2 verse 20, Galatians 2 20. Here we go. The life that wins, see if you can find out the common denominator in all four of these verses. Let's start with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, or I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, if you'll turn back now to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 in verses 4 and 5. Here is another key and a clue to the life that wins. He says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. All right? If you'll turn to Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. And if you will look in verse 27, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, which makes it possible for you to become everything God wants you to be. And then back one book, chapter 1 of Philippians. If you Are you catching on? Are you catching on? See, Christ in you gives you the ability to be everything God wants you to be. Now, just stop. Now, before I, I've already given you the answer. He's going to ask his congrega congregation to give the answer. But I want you to just think about that. Okay, wait a minute. Does God want me to be holy? Everyone would have to say yes, because the Bible says, be ye holy as he is holy. Does God want you to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Yes, the Bible gives you that command. Think of all the commandments. Love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, do this, do, do there's about 900, I mean, I'm not, I'm just making up a number, but there are hundreds of commandments that we are told to do, right? We, and so that's what God would want you to do. Now, according to him, if Christ is in you, you now have the power and the ability to do it. But he just told us that the winning Christian life is not a winning life of perfection. Now, remember his thesis, right? The thing that causes us to lose in the Christian life is because we don't are not taught correctly what it is. He's giving us the idea that if I have Christ in me, I have the ability to do whatever God wants me to do, but yet he's already told us that we can't be perfect. So his describing of the Christian life is contradictory at best, confusing at worst, misleading, and it may only get worse. Let's see. You look there for a moment. Chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, with those verses in mind, what is the clue? What common denominator is found in all four of those verses? What is the life that wins? What do all four of those verses say about the life that wins? What is it, somebody? Christ in you. That is the life that wins. And you see, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus Christ came into your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He came to dwell and to live within us and through us a life that would represent and signify and symbolize His life. 
That is his character, his actions, his attitude. It is his life, not our life. You remember what Paul said about himself before he realized this? He said in times past, what I didn't want to do, I found myself doing. What I wanted to do, somehow I seemingly couldn't manage to do it. He said, so I was pulled in two directions. What I wanted to do, I couldn't do. What I didn't want to do, I found myself doing. But Paul discovered the truth, that it wasn't any longer Paul's life. It was Christ living within him. Get that. Please note that. When Paul says, hey, the things I wanted to do, the things I wanted to do, and now he he puts it in a past tense. Well, Paul said, the things I wanted to do, I couldn't do, and the things I wanted to do, uh, the things I didn't want to do, I ended up doing. But he figured it out. Paul finally figured it out. In other words, that was the old Paul, the new Paul, boom, he found the solution. So Paul was not going to be walking around anymore going, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do. Paul figured out the secret. And the secret is all of, in these passages that we've looked at. The secret is Galatians 2.20, John 15, which isn't actually Paul, but okay, John chapter 15, 4 through 5, Colossians 1.27, and Philippians 1.21. So, so there's a secret. Hey, you don't have to live a life where the things you want to do, you don't do, and the things you don't want to do, you do. That is that is not what you should expect in the Christian life. This is common in, my, in a lot of evangelical teaching. That does not describe the Christian life. That describes the wrong Christian life. If you figure out the secret, Christ in you, boom, you're going to be set free from that. And now the things you want to do, you'll do, and the things you don't want to do, you will stop doing well i mean you can't be perfect <laughs> remember though the danger for your christian life is not truly understanding what christianity is i'm getting more and more per- confused by what christianity is or isn't as we continue reviewing this it isn't our life and i'll tell you something else it isn't jesus christ up there trying to help us down here you remember what happened to peter for example While he walked with Jesus on earth, what was he doing? Man, he is whacking off Romans' ears. He wanted to fight. He said, count on me when you can't count anybody else, Jesus. Impulsive Peter, always out front. You can always bet on me. And every single time, what happened? He took a nosedive. He failed every time he boasted. He said, you know, you can just do anything you want to, but we'll always be there the night he was judged. Peter's following afar off, all like the rest of them. After Pentecost, when Jesus Christ came back into this earth at Pentecost, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same old defeated bragging Peter in his humiliation is standing before the Sanhedrin saying, you can whip us, you can beat us, you can put us in jail, but I want to tell you, this same Jesus whom you crucified by his name, this man has been healed. He is an absolutely total different man as a result of what? Before Pentecost, Jesus walked by his side. That won't cut it. It isn't I, Paul says, it is Christ living within me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me, and is living in me moment by moment, day by day. You know what Christ in us does? When Christ's life gets in you, you get on a whole higher plane of living. Here we go. When Christ gets in you, you're in a whole higher plane of living. So here's us Christians. Christ is in us. We're in a higher plane of living. And then there's those other people, your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe family members, maybe in-laws, maybe brothers or sisters, someone. They don't have Christ in them. They're in a lower plane of living. You're the winner. Higher plane of living. 
There's the lower plane of living. That always, that, 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 see, this is how Christianity constantly sells itself. So what he doesn't want you to hear, he doesn't want you to hear that Christian life is a life of failure and struggle. No, 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 no. That's the wrong Christianity. What you need to know is, yes, Christianity is a battle, but you've got Christ in you, so you can now walk on a higher plane. You can have a life of victory, of of not sinless perfection, but I guess we're going to get really, 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 really close. We're going to be victorious and godly and joy and happy and everything's going to be wonderful. And we're going to look like a, well, I can't say Disney movie anymore, a Hallmark movie. Everything's going to be happy. It's going to be a white picket fence, two dogs, two kids, a perfect looking husband, a perfect looking looking wife. Everyone's going to be great. We're going to go to church and everyone's going to be dressed perfectly. And we're like, oh, praise God. And we're not going to have a fight in the car on the way there, or on the way back. There's never going to be any complaining or fighting at home. Everyone's going to be loving and and wonderful and great. And okay, that's the way it's almost described because we have got Christ in me. Yeah, Christ in you. Then the Southern Baptists released one of the most horrible reports about sexual abuse and rape and horrible things that happened in the, the largest Protestant denomination in the world. But Christ in you. So I, I've already seen how some people handle that. Well, all those people aren't Christians. That's always the go-to. So as soon as someone does something horrible or scandalous, our go-to is not a Christian. Done. Because we, 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 we can't explain it. It goes against the marketing. It goes against our concept. Let's see how he, he, he wraps this up. Until you are aware of his indwelling presence... You're going to keep struggling. And the only person who has ever lived a sinless life, the only person who has ever defeated the devil every single time is Jesus Christ. The devil has defeated every single servant of God. He's defeated every single Christian. He's defeated every single lost man. The only person that the devil's never defeated is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ gets on the inside of us, what does he do? He equips us to be winners and not losers. There you have it. Jesus defeated Satan every time. And now that Jesus lives in you. So now, well, you should be able to defeat Satan every single time. Now you are a winner. You can't be a loser because you've got the power of God in you. All you have to do is realize that power is in you. If you'll realize the power is there, you will acknowledge it. You will accept it. You'll walk on a higher plane. Oh, it sounds so good. And just think how many Christians eat this up, man. They're sitting there going, man, my Christian life's a mess. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I struggle. I, okay, okay. I'm going to, so what do you do? All right. I, I accept that Jesus is in me. Okay. All right. All right. Do, do I feel different? Okay. Jesus is in me. Okay. Well, okay. All right. Do I feel, do I feel, Oh, wait, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk, I'm not gonna fight with my wife. I'm gonna talk, you know, in a more godly manner to my kids. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a better employee. Okay, wait, wait, things didn't go right. Okay, man, things went wrong. Come on, come on, come on. Jesus is in me. Like, is it just a mind game? Like, do you see what happens when you are given this kind of Christianity? I'm telling you, at some point, now, now, and I and I only say this. I only say this to add context here. I don't say this in judgment. I don't say this in a condemning way, in any way, shape, or form. But I think the reality must be painted. I don't know when he preached this sermon. 
fact, let me verify something because I don't want to say anything that's incorrect here. I didn't even think about this to right now because I, 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 I want to make sure. I want to make sure I've got. Okay. Um, yeah. What year did it happen? Yeah. Um, Charles Stanley. Yeah. Uh, uh, Charles Stanley and his wife uh, divorced uh, in 2000, I believe. Their marriage fell apart in 2000. Now, you can say, well, Christ is in him, but Christ wasn't in her. You, you, I get, you can always find a reason to get around it. You can always find a way to get around it. I just want you to know that, that the sermon sounds good. That's the advertisement. That's the brochure. That's the glossy video. But the reality is his marriage fell apart. The reality, him and his son, Andy Stanley, their relationship fell apart. I think they've reconciled, but they even had problems there. You can say, well, well, Andy doesn't have Christ in him. I, you, you can make all of the excuses. The thing is, every time I hear this kind of preaching, when you get behind the curtains, you see sinful, broken people who are not walking on some elevated higher plane where they can defeat Satan every single time and they've got it all figured out. Oh, we want to believe that's true. We want to believe that's true. They're just broken people. Let's continue. I want to show you how he's prepared for that. Turn to John chapter 10 for a moment. What I'm talking about now is, is to show you how the Lord, how the Lord has prepared you to be a winner. That is, he wants you to win in your spiritual life. When you win in your spiritual life, you win everywhere else. You win in your home, you win in your business, you win in your relationships, you win in your personal life. When you're winning in your spiritual life, you are a winner. See, when you win in your spiritual life, you win everywhere. You win in your home. You win at work. You win everywhere. You win everywhere because you've got Christ in you. You win at everything. I'm telling you, you are just the winner. I'm sorry if you're an unbeliever today, you are a loser, but we've got a power you don't have. We've got Christ in us. You don't. We've got power. You don't. We can be better than you. You can't be as good. You can't be better no matter how much you try. This is so common, all right? Uh, okay, uh, someone just posted in the chat, and this is when everyone says amen, and younger me assumed I must not be a true Christian because I sin, repent, sin, and on and on and on. Now, you, the person who just posted that, you were smarter than I was. You were, you were obviously smarter and more spiritually alert than I was, and I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. I mean that because I, oh, was so stupid to think that I'd think that I I got it. I got it, right? I'm doing it. And then I, I bought into a very strong lordship idea. And I was like, okay, I've got it. And I don't know what's wrong with all these other Christians. They don't have it. They're lost. They're not, they're not Christians because I read my Bible more than them. And I study more than them. And I listen to sermons more than them. And I never miss a church service. Even if I work all night from six o'clock at night to six in the morning, I go to church. I, if I have to go without sleep all day Sunday, I mean, I went my uh, first Bible Institute, the military, because they so much support education, they put me in a job where I worked from six o'clock at night to six in the morning. So, but I worked uh, every other weekend 
So the way it worked is every other weekend while I was in uh, Bible college or Bible Institute, the first Bible Institute, I would go to work at six o'clock on Friday evening. I would get off work at 6 a.m. Saturday morning. I immediately went home, ate breakfast, got ready, drove to the church. I was at the church from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. all day of, of school, then immediately go back home, rush home, put on my uniform, go back to work, work from 6 p.m. Till, till 6 a.m. the next morning, that's Sunday morning, go home, eat breakfast, go to church, go to church, come home, try to sleep for an hour, a couple of hours, then get dressed and go back and work Sunday night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Monday morning. And I did that week, every other week, every other week for, what, two years, three years, however long I was in uh, the Bible Institute. So basically every week, every other weekend, I went basically... 72 hours plus without sleep. That's the way it worked. Okay. And, and, and so I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not missing church. I'm not, I, 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 other people would have said, well, you didn't have to go to church. I mean, come on, you, you could have, you had to sleep. Nope. I wasn't going to miss church. So I convinced myself that I was godly because I didn't, I, I went to church. I read my Bible, but guess what? I, 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 I just conveniently overlooked any other sin that was in my life. So I, I bought into this kind of idea, like I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm walking on an elevated plane. I've got the power of God in me. I don't know what's wrong with all these other people. I, I convinced myself that I say I was doing the pretending. I went from the amening it to pretending it. Some point I realized I'm an idiot and that I'm not near as godly as I think I am. And I end up, I end up just, it became obvious. It became, I mean, it became obvious to everyone that I was a failure and I, and I, and I ended up having to pay consequences for my own stupid sin because I was so blinded. I couldn't, I couldn't even see my own sin because I had to convince myself that I was godly because if I wasn't godly, well, then this whole thing doesn't work. Now, I, can, I don't blame the, te- and I'll make this very clear. I'm not blaming the teaching that I received. It's my own fault, right? Any sin that I committed was my own, not blaming anyone else. But it's just that the teaching was very detrimental to me because I had to keep trying to pretend that it, that I was, was experiencing what I was told I was supposed to experience because they told me that I wasn't a Christian. Again, not blaming them. It's my own fault. But man, I'm glad this person at least realized it. They saw it quickly. I don't know how quickly. Hopefully they saw it very soon. And, and now their problem is they kept, kept convincing themselves they weren't a Christian. And I've heard lots of people tell that story. Well, I didn't, I must not be a Christian. I was too arrogant to say, and I was like, no, I am a Christian, okay? You may not be, but I am. I was too arrogant to say, hmm, because what I should have thought is, you know what? Maybe I'm not a Christian. That's what I should have thought, but I was too stupid. And I just like, nope, I'm the Christian. Everyone else isn't. It makes me mad at myself that I, I bought into that. So praise God that God opened your eyes to see your sin. Praise God that God kept you humble enough to see your sin and may, and you didn't have to struggle with, I don't know, male ego where you can't see it. All right, well, let's continue. And one of the reasons some folks aren't doing it about in their homes, their business, their relationship is because they're losing in this vertical battle. All right, now watch. John 10 verse 10 says, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. When Jesus Christ came, what did he come to do? Listen, he came to live within us. He says, out of your spirit shall flow rivers of living water. Now, when you've got a fast moving river, he said flowing rivers. And so the river, he says, 
a living water that is life and power are represented by that river. He says, out of your life, through your life, will move what? Life and power. He wants you, mother. He wants you, dad, whatever your occupation may be. He wants you filled with his life so that through you is moving life to others and power in the lives of other people, making changes in their life. He says the abundant, overflowing, ever-sufficient, always-sufficient life of Christ living within you. That second thing he says in Matthew 20, he says that he has come to be a ransom for many. That is, Jesus Christ came to do what? He came to do for us what no one else could do. He canceled sin in our life. He forgave us of our sins in order that we could have a relationship with God the Father. The third thing the scripture says here is this. Not only did he come to live within us that overflowing life, break the power of sin in our life, but the scripture says in Luke... Please note how he said he came to cancel sin, to break the power of sin in your life. And I hate that I keep doing that with my hands. I don't know why I do that. Doesn't that irritate you? It irritates me. Sometimes I catch on these little things that I do and then realize, man, that's not very professional. So I'll try not to slap my hands, okay? But I get excited and boom, I I wanna slap my hands. Okay, but he just talked about the fact that that sin, the power of sin is broken in your life. Now, this is a common evangelical teaching. The power of sin, it's been broken. You're now free. See, the, the lost person, they're losers because the power of sin is not broken in their life, but it's broken in yours. Now, if it's broken, why can't I be sinless? They never have an explanation for that. Hey, you can't be sinless, but the power of sin is broken. So they, so what, what does it look like? Like how much sin can I commit if the sin of the power of sin has been broken in my life? This just leads to, look, if you go, if you try, if you chart it out, how he's describing the Christian life, I think you're going to look at that going, what? Uh, One, I don't even know if you can be able to clearly define what it is because he's kind of given us contradictory information, but I think you're going to realize it's not what you experience unless you are pretending and you may pretend and nobody else may see, but deep down, you've got to know, you got to know what goes on in your mind, what goes in your heart. You got to know. But man, some Christians are so self-deluded, they can't even see. They can't even see their own failure and depravity. Luke chapter 4, Jesus talking about his purpose for coming. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel, heal the sick, encourage the poor, and bring deliverance to the captives. Jesus Christ living within us does what? Jesus Christ living within us equips us and empowers us to overcome every single temptation and heartache and burden of life. He says, The power of God in you gives you the ability to overcome every single temptation. But you can't be without you can't be sinless. You can't be. Uh, you can't reach sinless perfection. Now, you try to take those two concepts together and see how that works out. The power of God gives you the ability to overcome every single temptation, but you cannot reach the level of sinless perfection. You place those side by side and tell me in what 
twisted world of logic does that make any sense at all? Christians literally say things that are self-contradictory and we are so blinded that we can't even acknowledge we sound like we're insane. We sound like we're crazy people who need to be in a mental asylum. That's what we sound like at times. He came to what? To break the bonds, to unshackle us, free us, deliver us, that you and I may be winners and no longer losers. In the 14th chapter of John and the 16th chapter of John, many verses about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in equipping us and preparing us for the light that wins, he says, if I go away, I'll send the comforter. He will be, listen, watch this. He says, I'll be in you, I'll be with you, and I'll be upon you. The Holy Spirit came and has indwelt every single believer to magnify and to live through us the life of Christ. He says the Holy Spirit will teach you what I want you to know. He will bring to your remembrance the things I want you to recall. He says he will guide you in the decisions that you make. He will empower you to do the work that God's called you to do. Then he talks about some other things. He says, for example, he provides the power. Christ within us is our power. He says, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, whose ministry it is to live Christ's life through us. He said, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You recall what he said to those disciples before Pentecost? Please note, this is just death by cross-reference. This is just grabbing verse after verse after verse. No context, no exegesis at all. This is just grabbing, 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 not even realizing, well, maybe some of these promises are not even for us or for the disciples specifically. Uh, he completely just leaves that out. Maybe some of these promises are apostolic promises. He, he doesn't even, bother, I mean, it's just ripping verses out of context and therefore you, 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 giving us this idea that the Christian life, I mean, I don't know how we can ever have a problem. I mean, the way he's describing the Christian life, man, we should never have an issue. There should never be a church split, never be a broken marriage, never be sin, never be pornography, adultery, fornication, uh, unsubmissive wives, husbands who don't love uh, their, their wives as Christ loves the church. Uh, there shouldn't be Christian children who don't obey their parents. It should just be literally, basically, heaven on earth should just, it should be there. Now, as soon as I say that, we're like, no, 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 that's not what we mean. Then say what you mean, because the words that you are using, see, I just slapped my hands again. Okay, the words you are using is describing a Christian life. Sorry, it's not the reality of 2,000 years of church history. It's not even the reality of the Christianity described in the Bible. Now, in my position, oh, yes, oh, man. It's perfection. It is holiness. It is righteousness. Yes. But in practice, I'm sorry, it's not all of this. And I know Christians have sold it this way forever. But at some point, you got to stop and go, we're selling something that doesn't meet the reality. So that means we have to take at least the reality into context. We have to at least take the reality into consideration and go, maybe we've misinterpreted some of this. And maybe we've we are blurred the lines between our position and our practice. 
Pentecost, he says, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He will give witness of me. He will glorify me. Then he said on another occasion, uh, John 14, verse 27, he says, my peace I give unto you. Now watch this one. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now let me show you something. Don't forget this. People say, well, Lord, please send me your peace. Oh, God, you know what I need. And they look to heaven as if God the Father or Jesus Christ is going to send them an angelic mailgram of some sort or a package of some sort down here for them to receive what they need. Now, I want you to watch this. Don't ever forget this. We never have. We cannot. We never will. It is absolutely impossible under any condition whatsoever to ever receive anything from God except through Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus doesn't give his peace apart from himself. You know why he says, my peace I give unto you? Because Jesus Christ came to live within us, Paul said. And the life that I now live is Christ in me. Paul said, Christ in me, the hope of glory, the hope of becoming everything God has made it possible for me to become. Why is that true? Because Jesus Christ is living within me. Jesus Christ doesn't give salvation apart from himself. Jesus Christ doesn't give peace apart from himself. It is my receiving Jesus that brings me salvation. It is my receiving Jesus that brings me peace. It is my receiving Jesus that brings me power. It is my receiving Jesus that I have the right to claim and appropriate every single provision of my life. It is Christ and Christ only, Christ plus nothing, not Christ up there sending it down here. It is Christ in your life and my life. He says, that is our hope of glory. The hope of ever becoming anything and everything worthwhile to God is Christ living his life freed and liberated through you and me as a result of being surrendered to him. I see, once again, it's this idea that, that Christ is there to give you the power so you can become everything he wants you to be. In my position, I am everything he wants me to be. I am holy. I am sinless. I am godly. I am righteous. I'm obedient. I'm everything in my position. That's the whole thing. Christ in me. I am in him. We are united. My identity is Christ. When the father sees me, he sees Christ because Christ is in me. Christ becomes my identity. He is who I am and practice in my flesh. There's still sin, but I, as I live in the flesh, I'm still in my position, completely perfect and obedient, even when I fall short in the flesh. He, he's just, it's almost like Christ is in you. So now you can be what God wants you to be. Now you go do it and you can be perfect and and you can follow all of the rules, but you can't, for some weird reason, you can't do it perfectly. I, he, he's yet to explain, I, I have all of this power. But for some reason, I can't be without sin. I've said all of that to ask you one question. How in the world do you take the first step toward winning? Has there ever been a time in your life when you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Now, here you have it. Hey, you want to be a winner? Remember, this was, this was aired on radio on January the 1st, 2022. Hey, you want to be a winner this year? Here, here it comes. Just believe in Jesus and See, I was going to slap my hands. Boom. There, there you go. I have to make a sound effect. Boom. That's it. You're now a, it, you're just an automatic winner. Just boom, magically transformed. That's it. You have everything. You have power. You have it. You can do it now. Go do it. 
The power of sin is broken. Now the things you want to do, you can do. And the things you don't want to do, you can stop doing. You've got it all figured out now. You've got the power. You've got everything you need. You can stop sinning. You can resist temptation. You can be a better husband, better this, better, better. But everything's wonderful. You can walk on a higher plane. All you got to do is just accept Jesus. Now, remember, the whole sermon started off by saying the problem in many people's Christian life is, well, you're given a Christian, you're given, you're not taught correctly what to expect in the Christian life. He just gave us what he thinks the correct understanding of the Christian life is. And I tell you that what he just gave you is detrimental, dangerous, and leads to the very deconstruction phenomenon that we're witnessing right now. Let's let, I'm going to let him finish because I don't want anyone to claim that I took anything out of context. Has there ever been a time in your life when you got on your knees before God and humbled yourself before him and told him that you are a sinner, you didn't deserve to be saved, you were confessing your sin, you weren't worthy to be saved at all, that your righteousness is as filthy rags before Almighty God, and you're trusting in the work of Jesus Christ to save you. What he did at the cross is your only hope, and you told him, Lord Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I receive you as my salvation, you as my Lord, and you as my life. We well, said, no, I never have done that. Then I want to tell you, my friend, you're going to lose. You're going to lose all of this life, and one of these days you're going to take the final step that will indicate an eternal loss, and you don't want to do that. The first step into the life that wins is just that, receiving. Listen, now watch this. Receiving Jesus Christ by faith in the confession and repentance of your sins. Receiving Jesus Christ. Listen, what did Paul say? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. It is Christ living within me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The paraphrased edition, the Living Bible, puts it this way. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, Just as you trusted Christ the Savior, trust him too for each day's problems. Let your roots grow down into him and drawing up nourishment from him. And keep on trusting him. For when you have Christ, you have everything. And you see, it isn't Christ up there and me down here battling out my life. You and I have the tremendous, absolutely incomparable, indescribable, joyous victory of knowing the living Lord who walked the face of this earth, who had the power to come out of the grave, who has ascended the right hand of the Father, is the same living supernatural God who is living within this mortal body he termed the temple of the living God. Christ is in you. And you know all he's asking of you and me today? Listen, he's simply saying to you and me, give me total access. Give me absolute control. Surrender everything, and I will live in you and through you the most exciting, anticipating, glorious, contenting, fulfilling life that you could ever dream of and much greater that you could ever describe. I want to invite you to Jesus this morning, somebody who's looking for the life that wins. Thank you for listening to How to Enter In. If you'd like to know more about Charles Stanley or InTouch Ministries, stop by InTouch.org. 
This podcast is a presentation of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia. There, I wanted you to get all the information there. There you have it. So when when he started the sermon, I was like, yes, you're so right. People's Christian life gets so messed up because they're not taught to correctly understand what to expect in their Christian life. So we start off in complete agreement at the beginning of the sermon And by the time we get to the end, I'm like, what in the world did you just describe? You just basically described that I can be basically perfect. Perfect happiness, perfect joy. All I got to do is say, Jesus, take take the will, to quote that not very good song. Okay, but take the will. It's all yours. Full access. Take everything. It's all yours. And then boom, well, Jesus will drive the car. He'll take care of everything. Everything will be perfect. Happy, joy, victorious, strength, power, knowledge, understanding. It'll be wonderful. It will be, well, not the reality you're going to actually experience. Yes, Christ is in me. That's my identity because I am in him and he is in me. That's my identity. But in practice, I still got a sinful nature. I still got human emotions, human desires. I'm still going to struggle and sin. Not excusing it, but it's the reality of it. And, And if we can never face the reality of what we are, and we all have to pretend that we're something that we're not, you end up with horrific situations where everyone's been pretending, and sooner or later, the cracks appear and the dam burst and what comes out is polluted, corrupted water that is vile and it stinks and it's scandalous. But it was already in there, but we were all covering it up. We were all pretending. Now in my position, perfection. In practice, a sinner. I am a sinner. I'll be a sinner until glorification and this sinful nature is gone, and this sinful flesh is transformed and changed into a glorious body. That's the reality of the Christian life. And that's why the church seems never really very, we don't really know how to handle scandal or sin. We don't really know what to do. We, we always just have to go, uh-oh, that's too scandalous. You're gone. Like we, we gotta, we gotta kick the people when they're down and get them out because that makes us look bad. But They make us look bad because we kept selling that we're something that we're not. Should we be better? Yes. Should we be more godly? Yes. Should we avoid sin? Yes. But even people who preach it the way he preaches it has already acknowledged we cannot be sinless. If we can't be sinless, then guess what? Then there's going to be sin. And how does that fit in? It fits in perfectly because we're still depraved sinners. But I want you to just think about how the Christianity that people have bought into, how much of it are they pretending to experience? And then I want you to see the detrimental effects that it has. Sometimes when you're counseling people, you got to make them realize they bought a false Christianity and they've been pretending and now the cracks are starting to appear and now they're becoming disillusioned and discouraged and want to give up. And it's because they got to return the garbage that they bought and they got to take away the mask and stop pretending and be honest with themselves. But then we got to do the same. What have you bought into? What are you still pretending about? 
What are you still pretending? The pretending has to stop. We got to be able to be more transparent and real. We have to be. We have to be. All right, I'll stop there. You can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Those on the Discord channel, always feel free to discuss it. Those who are listening live and participating in the chat, thank you so very much. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're going to, this afternoon, or we're going to try to get back to uh, our discussion that we started late last night on uh, laments of the Bible, um, because I think that's very important in considering everything that's going on. We still got to... We've moved past Balaam talking to his donkey. We finally ended that conversation. I, 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 I'm I, still struggling with what in the world to do with that story, but we're going to try, try to advance that story. And then we got a lot of other things to work on uh, this afternoon. And remember, if you did not listen to the Bible study exercise last night, we're getting close to bringing Matthew 24 to an end, even though we left with a lot of questions. We have, we're getting close, and then we're going to be going to the Gospel of John, and I think we will be dealing with some of those, I think we'll be dealing with a section that deals with the Holy Spirit and some of these promises, which will probably be a very another interesting Bible study exercise when we introduce that. So um, if you haven't looked at the curriculum for the Bible study exercise on Matthew 24, please at least spend some t- quality time with the last two sessions, with the last two sessions, maybe the last three, just at least read them because I don't want those I don't want us to you know just waste money and making them available so please you look at them and if you have questions about anything in the curriculum or something jumps out at you let me know because we can do an episode where we talk about it all right we had a we had a visitor I'll just end with this uh, late la- or yesterday we had a visitor at church he uh, used to be he attended the church when he was a child he was young when he attended and uh, he's left he's now in college and he came back. He was uh, try, uh, he took a detour to, to a visit. It was really cool to see now, uh, you know, a college student. And he came back to church on a Wednesday night. And uh, he hasn't been in the church in a very long time. So he's there, and we're going through all the Matthew twenty four stuff. And when it was over, his first words were like, "Wow, what did I just walk into?" <laughs> but not not in a bad way. But he immediately asked for the you know, the app, and so we gave him the app, and he was going to go back and listen to everything. And he had some awesome theological questions afterwards. So that was cool. But it's just funny that anyone who steps into our Matthew twenty four study, they're kind of like, "What in the world? Did, what is this? What what just happened? What is this?" Uh, well, that's called being honest with the text. And guess what? Not only do we have to be honest with the text, we have to be honest with ourselves about the reality of the Christian life and stop pretending and let's return back to the store, the fraudulent Christianity that is constantly being sold in the evangelical world. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. I'll be back on the air sometime this afternoon. God bless.